listening to On The Road with Mike and Andy, the number one Australian weekly trucking podcast made for Aussie truckies by Aussie truckies. We're here to bring an independent voice to truckies right around Australia. So please do us a favour, listen in on your favourite podcast platform, hit like and subscribe, leave a comment and don't forget to tell your mates about us. On the Road is brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Visit the website at nti.com.au. G'day and welcome back to episode 62 of On the Road. On this week's show, Ross Isles, an associate professor from Monash University, joins Mike to talk about an exciting new program called Driving Health. We hear from Mick Carter from Beyond Clarity, who shares in depth with Mike the very real issue of driver fatigue. Ben Charles continues his A to Z of what truckies can claim on their tax returns in his Wake the Truck Up segment. In something to talk about a little later on in the show, one very unhappy truckie shares his frustrations over being COVID compliant but still unable to go about his business. We've got all the latest from the On The Road newsroom along with great Aussie music from Christy Lamb and Lee Kernigan. It's another Boomer episode, so without further ado, let's get this show on the road! Yes, get on with it! G'day, I'm Yogi from Outback Chuckers, and when I'm on the road, we're always on the road doing stuff out on the road, but when we're on the road, we're listening to the big rigs on the road. (laughs) This is Simon Smith here from the Australian Big Rig Radio Roadshow.com. Truck and radio is what we do across Australia 24-7. Loads of truck and classics every hour. If you'd like to drop us a line, love to hear from you at some stage. Our email address, bigrigradio at yahoo.com.au. Catch it down the road and take it steady out there. The Australian Big Rig Radio Roadshow.com. If you like the music of Jane Denham, and we know you do because you keep asking for it, This week, we'd like to introduce to you another Aussie country rock songstress that'll just blow your socks off. Here's CMC Music Award winner, Christy Lamb, with Flamethrower.
Ross Isles is an Associate Professor at Monash University. He's in the public health and preventative medicine field. He's part of a team that have done quite a bit of work on a program called Driving Health. He's out there with Alex Colley, Ting Zia, Elizabeth Pritchard, and a laundry list of other people who have been working on this project. And I think Ross has drawn the short straw and they've sent him to have a bit of a chat with me and answer a few of the questions I've got. Ross Isles, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me, Mike. And no, it's not the short straw. Very happy to talk through what we've been doing. Right. So I've been having a look at the Driving Health Program and this new app you've got for allocators and things like that. That's the end result of a heck of a lot of research though, isn't it? Yeah, it is. We've been going for two and a half years now, coming up on the three-year mark. Mm. And what the Driving Health Project was all about, it was really to try and set a baseline for the health and well-being of truck drivers in Australia. Yep. Our partners in the study are Infox, the Transport Workers Union, and the New South Wales Centre for Work Health and Safety. What that's meant is we've set up this three-year program of research that's really given us the opportunity to not only look at data that already existed, so we've been able to look at workers' compensation claims, for example, but then also go out directly to drivers to ask them about their health. Mm. What that's really told us is that when it comes to helping drivers to be healthy and stay healthy at work, there's no simple solution. You're not just going to be able to just do one simple thing that's going to really help. And I know we're talking about the end of the story at the moment, but where I've landed is that we can't just look to increase the capacity of drivers to cope with everything that they need to cope with at work. We actually need to look at ways we can change the system that mean drivers can actually, you know, be healthy and happy at work. Yeah, well, that's one of the things that I've been very, very passionate about, and I'm not the only one. I mean, I've had a bit of a look at what you did there in some of your collection of your data and how you did that. 2,000-odd drivers created a sort of a snapshot of the health and well-being of the drivers. And I can look at what your infographic on that says. Unfortunately, I look at my own health position at 58 years old, and I you know I'm a beast. It's hard to get a good feed on the road. It's hard to get good rest. It's hard to do a lot of things. I really do wonder sometimes exactly what we can do to sort that sort of stuff out, particularly in the environment we're getting now with the border crossings and things. I don't want to go into the whole COVID issues as well, but there's a number of problems that we face on the road, which your study has highlighted, particularly the shorter study where you did the interviews with the other drivers and their families. I found a lot of that quite interesting. Would you like to talk about that for a little bit? Yeah, well, one of the things we did, and you mentioned you know, nearly 1,400 drivers, We did a survey with those drivers and what surveys tell you, they tell you the what is going on, Mm. but they don't often give you the why. And that's where you really need to speak to people to hear about their experiences and draw out. So that's why, for example, so many drivers are obese because they just simply don't have the options available to them when they're out on the road, Mm. particularly in the conditions where you might have to surrender what you've got in your fridge at a border crossing or you can't just pull up your truck next to a Woolies and fill up on fresh fruit and veg. And, you know, your options, they're the fast food options. And if you're tired, you've only got a short amount of time, well, it's always much easier to grab something quickly. Yeah. The other thing about speaking with drivers and their family members is that it gives you the stories behind what's happening. And I know one thing that's really stuck in my mind was drivers describing the fact that when they've been away from home for so long, home's been operating fine without them. Mm. And so when they finally do get home, they're really looking forward to getting home and you know being in that space. But when they get there, that they feel a bit out of place because everyone's functioning without them and they're almost getting in the way. Yeah. And they go, well, okay, it's time to get back out on the road again. So, yeah. you know, that's something that really struck me that it'd be really tough to be sort of, you know, looking forward to getting home and then 
not quite feeling home when you get there. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. You know, I sleep better in the bunker of the old 909 than I sleep in my own bed at home. It's scary, isn't it? And they're the sort of things that unless you're from the industry, which I'm not, I've never driven a truck, hmm. you just don't even think about it. Yeah. And that's what we really want to do with driving health is actually go, hey, we've got an enormous number of people out there, mostly blokes, but we know there are plenty of women drivers as well, hmm. but working under really difficult conditions and we absolutely rely on what it is that they do. Mm. And what they do a lot of the time is actually putting their help on the line to do it. Well, this is the thing. And I found that truck driving is sort of a vocation. It's a lifestyle, particularly long distance truck driving. It's either something you can or you can't do. There's sort of not really a lot of middle ground. You either love it or you don't. And the guys that love it sort of tend to stay in it. It's getting harder and harder and harder to recruit and retain younger drivers these days, particularly with a lot of the mental health issues seem as though they're taking the forefront today. And I see from some of the comments that have been made by some of the drivers and families that you interviewed in detail, talking about coming home with a short fuse and not understanding that their mental health is affecting their work and you know, the isolation and the loneliness and all that sort of stuff. Have you got something to speak to that? Yeah, well, absolutely. Um, a couple of things there. Just some thoughts as you were talking there, Mike. One is that we did see in our data that drivers under 35 were much more likely to have severe levels of psychological distress. Mm. And the older drivers got, we saw that their levels of psychological distress actually decreased. Yep. And that could be because they're the ones who love it. And what drivers told us in their interviews was that they can do well if they've got their own mechanisms to cope with all the things that they've got to put up with. Mm. But the younger drivers, they don't have those mechanisms yet. And as young people entering the profession, the pressure can just get too much. Yep. And it's going to be hard to attract young drivers to work in that profession when that's the case. The other thing too is many of the drivers we spoke to, they always wanted to drive a truck. Yeah. <laughs> Something they always imagined themselves doing. Yeah. And on one hand, there's concern that there's a lot of time spent on your own, but Again, the drivers we spoke to, they actually like that. Yeah, They enjoy being out on the open road. They enjoy all the things that they see when they're out and about. They're quite comfortable in their own company, which I think is a good way to be. Mm. But I think, I guess most important is, I think everyone has times when things sometimes that they normally would enjoy don't feel the same, is to have mechanisms or options for people to reach out when they're not feeling great. Yeah, well, that's one of the reasons why I'm quite happy to talk about all the healthcare issues and talk about things like healthy heads in traction sheds and Beyond Blue and all those sort of things that you can get at the end of the phone when you need it, unfortunately. I think it's still seen as a, a little bit of a weakness if you need to reach out for help, particularly amongst the older male age group. That's just a personal observation. I don't know how right that is. What do you think about that? No, I absolutely agree with that. And in our interviews, the drivers told us that you just got to grit your teeth and get through it. That's kind of the image, if you like. Mm, it is. We're all 10 foot tall and bulletproof, 10% tougher than any other man. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that notion is changing slowly, which is good. The other thing that drivers told us is that when they do want to speak to someone, they want to speak to someone who understands a lot of the things that they're facing. Yep. And so speaking to someone who knows driving or knows drivers or who is a driver would have a big difference because... I think sometimes it's hard to get up the guts to speak up, but it's a lot easier to speak to someone who knows what it is that you're dealing with. Yeah, well. The conversation probably starts with there's something that's ticked you off that day and yeah. whether it's you've turned up somewhere and they've asked you to do something stupid or you've had to wait for two or three hours to even load or unload. It's a natural starting point to then be able to talk about the other things that might be bothering you. Yeah, it's very hard to find a lot of truck drivers that are comfortable to have that conversation, though. Absolutely. As far as being worldly experienced enough to sort of probably do more than just listen, that's probably another thing too. So, 
And sometimes people are a little bit worried about that next step in the conversation, like, are you okay, Dave? People are worried that someone's going to say something to them and they're going to make things worse. Mm. And it's actually the bigger impediment to anything. You know, you're better off asking the question and and then being in a position to say, geez, mate, that's a lot. I don't know what to do here. Is there someone else you should be speaking to? Yeah. Guys and girls talking about their health, whether it's mental health or physical health or whatever aspects of difficulty that they're struggling with on the road, because of the perception that when they do, it's going to be bigger than being her. There goes my ability to earn my income. There goes my ability to put the food on the table, keep the roof over the kids' heads, put the school shoes on. I felt that pressure myself over the years, and I know a lot of you have. So I want to get Ross's opinion on all of that, mate. There you go. That's a big one. <laughs> okay. Look, it is a big one. And certainly in the drivers we spoke to, there was a fear of if you do say that you're struggling, whether it be physical or mental health, that your job's at risk. But then also the drivers told us that they've had great bosses as well that have been really supportive. Mm. So I think probably for every risk of losing your job, there's someone who's actually there who would like to support you and actually has genuine interest in you as a person as well as a truck driver, if that makes sense. No, no, it does make perfect sense. Yep. So one of our study partners is Linfox, and they've got their Healthy Fox program that's basically designed to help drivers to be healthy and have options to go through. And one of the key things with our Driving Health Allocator Training Program, that was the final step of our program, it's to encourage the allocators or the the managers or the the line managers to actually listen up when they're seeing things that might suggest that a driver's struggling, whether it be physically or mentally. And you mentioned a short fuse before, you know, someone's a bit more argumentative than normal to actually encourage to have a conversation with them and actually encourage them to actually go and get things checked out. Because in our research, we found that most drivers experience pain while they're at work, while they're driving. And for those, 70% of them have been putting up with that for more than three months. We know that drivers are obese and you know one of the difficulties there is we know exercise helps with weight loss, but how can you exercise if your knee is giving you grief every time you get in and out of the truck? Yeah. Last thing you want to do is do some exercise. Oh, yeah. Getting things checked out, you know, you might think, oh, it's just a sore knee, I've got to put up with that. But you could get that checked out. You could go to your physio. They can give you some exercises that you can actually perform. You know, a good physio will actually talk to you. Okay, so when you're driving, what opportunities do you actually have to exercise? They'll work with you to work out, or oh, here's a way to actually start strengthening the bits you need to strengthen in a way that's not such a big hassle. Hmm. And you'd probably be surprised how easy it is to strengthen up and resolve some of those problems. From our results, we see drivers are putting up with three or four parts of their body that have been hurting for you know more than three months at a time. Yeah, I know when I'm sore, the last thing I want to do is go out and do exercise. Well, I agree. The last thing that drivers want to do is go out and do exercise. <laughs> I'm talking to Ross Isles, Associate Professor at Monash University and part of the Driving Health team. We'll be right back after this quick word from our sponsors. There's nothing more devastating for a truck operator than to be involved in a serious road incident. We've all seen the impact of heavy vehicle accidents and at these times, when people are most vulnerable, it's critical that they have immediate support from a strong, stable, reliable and experienced organisation. NTI is Australia's number one truck insurer, the specialist you can count on to protect your transport and logistics assets, with the know-how to take control of the situation and the capability to reduce lost income by getting trucks back on the road again as soon as possible. Specialist products, experienced people, accredited repair and recovery networks and industry advocacy is what we do. It's our specialty and we've been doing it for more than 45 years. For more information, visit the website at nti.com.au 
or go to the NTI Facebook page. Back with Ross Isles, Associate Professor from Monash University. What were your findings with respect to medication use or overuse or even addiction to strong painkillers? Is that something that's been prevalent in your findings? The drug use sort of pops up in two parts in the research that we've done. Hmm. Or in one part where we asked about it, we asked about it in our survey. And our survey was completely anonymous. Yeah. And there wasn't a large amount of pain relief use in the survey information that people gave us. Mm. There were some occasional indications of drivers taking amphetamines, for example, but it was really, really small. Yeah. And it's an anonymous survey, so we'd hope people would be honest, but at the same time, you're not going to necessarily disguise everything that you do into a computer screen. Yeah. Well, that's right. Trust levels can be a little bit low sometimes with some of this. Yeah, we expected that. We set up our survey to be as anonymous as possible so people would be as honest as they can. Yeah. The other place where drug use comes up is in our workers' compensation analysis, where we got hold of a whole bunch of workers' compensation claims. And you can track through that what prescriptions get filled out for different medications. And so we could look at how many prescriptions were being filled for opioid medications. So opioids are your strongest painkillers, basically. Hmm. They come in different levels. But what we found in the research is we found three different patterns of using opioids. Fortunately, the majority of the prescriptions that were filled were the patterns that they're supposed to. You take them for a short time and then you stop filling out your prescriptions because you don't need them anymore. Yeah. Uh, because one of the problems with opioid medications is they can be addictive and they have long-term consequences if you take them long-term. Mm. And there were two other patterns that we found as well. One was a low-level sustained use, which meant that the prescriptions were being filled for more than two years. Mm. So assuming that the driver is actually taking those medications, it means they're taking opioids long-term. And there was a small proportion, about 5%, who actually had a high-volume ongoing opioid use, which was a large number of prescriptions filled over a time. Yeah. What I think is important there is it indicates not necessarily that the truck drivers are doing the wrong thing, it means that perhaps we're not actually getting them the best possible care that they need in terms of keeping giving them prescriptions for these medications. And we know they cause problems using them long term. Yep. We need to make sure we give the drivers the best evidence-based care. That's a researcher term if ever you've heard one, evidence-based, yep. where we know that it should be how things play out in real life should be according to the research. That's true, but also I think people's level of pain or perception of pain is a very individual thing. Sometimes I think some of these pain medications are used as a crutch or this is probably a little bit judgmental. But just from some of the things that I've seen, I think that sometimes pain medication does become the crutch that people lean on to get through other things that's going on in their life. This is the issue that we can focus on. You know what I'm trying to get to with that? Absolutely. What we do know from research is that chronic pain is really quite a complex and difficult area. And unfortunately, having medications like opioid quite easy to access and easy to prescribe mm. mean that perhaps they're the first go-to option rather than thinking of what might seem to be perhaps a little bit harder to put in place to start with, yep. ultimately mean people can get to a better place. And it can mean if you've got a tablet that makes you feel better and you've got access to it, mm. well, what is the first thing you're going to reach for when things are tough? Yeah. Our bodies are amazing things. But when you've been in pain for a long time, lots of things that wouldn't normally cause pain get interpreted as pain. Yep. And that's when you might actually start reaching for some of those things that make you feel better. 
when perhaps there are other solutions. Mm. That's a very simple way to think of it. Oh, yeah, it is. I'm not a pain physician by any means, but certainly chronic pain is complicated and it's a lot harder to get someone off opioid medication if they've been taking it for a long time than it is to actually, right from the start, get them using it in the right way. That's right. So just getting back to this infographic that you've got out here, and all of this stuff that we're talking about is all available on your website, drivinghealth.net. And you can email info at drivinghealth.net for more information as well. But I just want to get back to this infographic. You say here that drivers are 3.5 times more likely to break bones at work. They're 13 times more likely to die at work and use more physio and surgery than other workers. So is this based on just the interviews and the research that you've done and all the work cover documents or where's all these come from? That information is based in the workers' compensation statistics. Right. So we were able to look at 11 years' worth of workers' compensation data. So when you make a workers' compensation claim, you fill out all your forms and it's recorded in terms of what work you do. Yep. So we can actually look at that. We can break it down to transport and we can then break it down to being in the role as a driver. Yep. And what we found there is, shockingly, drivers are 13 times more likely to die at work than any other worker, Mm. which is a shocking stat. And when we released that report, we actually got my mug on telly a couple of times. Mm. It's a terrible stat, but what we found when we looked at it is only 17% of the burden of illness and injury in those workers' compensation claims was due to crashes. Right. So that means the vast majority of workers' comp claims are actually due to other things, not like a crash. Right. The fact that drivers are more likely to break bones is coming from things like crashes. But there's a whole lot of stuff going on in terms of what's called body stressing and slips, trips and falls, where drivers are ending up injured doing their job and having to make a workers' comp claim. So did you identify any particular things? For example, jumping out of the cab or the the old rotator cuff injury because you've left yourself suspended off the side of a load or something like that? (laughs) It's a good one. That's one where to get to that level, you kind of have to reverse engineer it. Because it's the data that's collected by workers' compensation, Mm. it's limited in terms of what it tells you. So it usually collects things like mechanism of how it was done according to like a code and sort of effectively puts a number in and that number equals body stressing. And so when you see lots of body stressing, you think, well, that's probably likely due to doing things like loading. You know, slip, trip and fall, well, it makes sense that that would actually happen getting into and out of the truck. We don't have that level of detail in those stats. One of the things that's important to point out here is that even those stats probably really underestimate the injuries that drivers are putting up with. Not every driver will make a workers' compensation claim. Mm. And if you're an owner-operator, you might not even be eligible to make a workers' comp claim. So we actually think the real picture is much worse than that. Those injuries are happening much more frequently. Yeah, I tend to see from experience, you'll see someone will hurt themselves on the job and you tell them to go and report it. And they go, no, she'll be right, mate. We just got to get this job done. And besides, which I don't want all the grief. And they just sort of tend to walk away. And unfortunately, sometimes that bites them in the bum later on particularly if some cut they got gets infected or something like that, then they've really got to deal with it, but it becomes a problem. Yeah, that's right. And that little bit of a twist you felt in your knee can mm. actually, in, in a couple of days' time, if it stops you from walking, well, then yeah. then you're in a bit of strife. It just seems to me that no one wants to risk it sometimes. They think, oh, well, you know, we'll be right. We'll just deal with that. And that'll be fine. We don't have to go through all the bigger than being her moment of talking about it with the safety officer and writing the incident report. And, you know, I've got to be at the market by 4 a.m. And, you know, we don't have time for this. Seems as though those mental decisions that drivers are making sometimes are very detrimental to what their long-term interests are. Yeah, that's true. But the area of research that I do is in that workers' compensation type area when people are ill and injured and unable to work. That notion is not unique to truck driving. Right. 
a lot of people are often reluctant to make a workers' compensation claim because they don't want to rock the boat. Yep. And I guess you mentioned one of the pressures, you don't have time for all the paperwork. And if your job's at all precarious, and we know there's a lot of pressure in truck driving, then that's going to only going to amplify that reluctance to make a claim. Mm. When often that's the best way to make sure you get the care that you need. Yeah, it's also the best way to eliminate the problem that goes and hurts someone else too. That's right. There's also a couple of publications that are mentioned on the website. Are they related to this work as well, the uh, timing of health use amongst truck drivers? Yes, that's right. They're all pulled, if you like, from the eight reports that we've got on there. There's a lot in there. We've got a lot of information. What's also on the website there is we ran a series of webinars where we actually talk through some of the results. Mm. If you want to have a listen or watch the videos, run through some of the stats in sort of half-hour snippets. If you don't fancy sitting down and reading through a 30- or 40-page report, we've got some infographics there. We've got some plain language summaries there too. What we've also got is a link to our Driving Health Allocator training program. So if you're in the industry and you want to know a little bit about how allocators or managers in the system might actually be able to help drivers with their health and help them to be healthy and stay healthy at work, that program takes about 20 minutes. It asks you some questions and gets you to watch some videos. We want as many people from the industry to to actually check out that resource and give it a shot. And so links to that are all at drivinghealth.net. That's the focus of the conversation we're having today, this Driving Health Allocator Training Program. It's a free resource that you've developed, what did you say, 20 minutes or so to go through that program? It's 20 minutes. It's absolutely free. And at the end of the program, there's a sheet of resources for you to download. So if you're a manager, you can download the resources so you've got them on hand. There's also some resources that are designed for the drivers. So you could actually print that out and give it to the driver. Yeah. There's QR codes attached, so all you've got to do is hover your phone's camera over them so they'll take you to the page. And so that means if you're a line manager, we, we talked about before, if you have the conversation and you're not quite sure what to do next, there's some resources there that sort of point you in the right direction. And if you're a driver, maybe you want to read something, maybe you want to download an app, you know, there are different options on those resources there. So is this the end of the road for this program that you've got going now or is there more to come? What we will be doing is we'll be talking about the results of people doing the Driving Health Allocator Training Program. Yep. So we'll be able to sort of point out what sort of a difference did it make in, in terms of the knowledge and attitudes of, of the line managers or the managers of truck drivers. I know they're called different names in different places. Yep. What we'll see at the end of the first quarter next year in 2022, we'll actually be looking to you know let everyone know all the things that we found through the Driving Health Project. Keep an ear out for that. At the moment, it's really about this allocator training program and all the dialogue. An interesting note here, Mike, is that the dialogue was really drawn from the interviews that we had with drivers. Yeah. So we haven't just gone, oh, this is what we think would make an interesting story. Mm. We've actually used pretty much the exact words that drivers told us to explain what are some of the things that the allocator or the line manager might be able to do to help their driver. Yeah. And if you help your driver to be healthy at work, then it makes your job easier too. Well, that's right. You know, allocators sometimes do the meat and the sandwich between the driver and, and management, if you like. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's plenty of jokes about having an allocator readjustment tool down beside the seat to use when you get the <laughs> Plenty of jokes about that sort of stuff. Like I mentioned before, the situation is complicated. You're not just going to simply solve it by getting someone to watch a video, but it's a starting point. Yep. And it's a starting point that looks at helping drivers by helping the people who help drivers, yep. if that makes sense. It makes absolute sense to me, and I'm sure it's going to make absolute sense to a lot of people that are going to hear this. Thanks very much, Mike. Anytime you want to talk, more than happy to take you through any of the things that we found in Driving Health Research. Well, I'm going to be looking into it some more, mate. You can expect a phone call, and I'd like to know what you find down the track. And then hopefully from there, we can look at the next steps to help drivers be healthy and stay healthy at work. That's the aim. That's the aim. Wonderful work. Mate, it's been a great thing to have you on the show. I've been very appreciative of your input. Thanks, Mike.
I've been talking to Ross Isles, an associate professor at Monash University, focusing on driver health and well-being and the new allocator program. Please feel free to go to the website drivinghealth.net and investigate all the resources are there. Kermie here from Trucking with Kermie. I listen to On the Road podcasts every week on the Australian Big Rigs Road Show. And when that's done, you might like to pop over to Trucking with Kermie on Facebook for my take on trucking and the people who make the industry what it is. Catch you over there. And in the meantime, take care of you. Line number one, you're supposed to have it all together. And when they ask how you're doing, just smile and tell them never better. We just wanted to stop by for a moment and say, G'day, how are you? No, I mean, how are you, really? Physical and mental health is a significant issue for the Australian road transport and logistics industries. Risk factors like long hours, workplace isolation, pressure to meet deadline deliveries and the need for continual alertness all contribute to making us vulnerable to physical and mental health issues. As much as it might feel that way sometimes, you are not alone. There are some incredible people and organisations in our industry whose sole focus is on helping you to stay healthy in body, mind and spirit. All these numbers and addresses are listed on our website at ontheroadpodcast.com.au. Take care of yourselves. We really just want to see everyone get home safe and well. Just a quick word about our sponsors. Go to our webpage, www.ontheroadpodcast.com.au and you can see who the friends of the show are. And if their products are something that you are interested in or something that you may need, please support them because they support us and they bring our show to you. It's time for That's What You Think. Mick Carter from Beyond Clarity and I had a chat, oh, it'd be easily 12 months ago. We talked about fatigue and Guardian and a few other things. And when we went to go through the editing process, the audio was absolutely terrible and we decided to not use it. And Mick and I have always been going to get back together and have another go. And it's just as been the first time we've been able to manage to hook up. Yeah, Mick's based in Brisbane with, as I say, the Beyond Clarity group, and they represent the Seeing Machines Guardian, Geotab, and another crowd called Whip Around, which we're going to talk about at another time. But he's been stuck in New Zealand forever. He went over there to have a look at something, and he's been stuck there ever since. That can't be fun. The New Zealand beer's just no good. Might even ask about that. Mick's decided to put aside a few minutes, and I've decided to put aside a few minutes. I'm in Port Edland. He's in New Zealand. How are you, mate? What's going on? Mate, good, good, mate, and thanks for having me back. Oh, look, my pleasure, mate. It was a good conversation we had, and unfortunately the audio was just crap and we just couldn't use it, so here we are, take two. No problem, mate, no, and look, you know, I don't know if you've been to the South Island of New Zealand, it is a beautiful place. Mm. I say that, though, and today is 12 degrees top, 6 degrees low and grey with a cruel crosswind, so right. I'd rather be in Brisbane in the warm sun, that's for sure. Yeah, well, it's a bit warmer over in Port Edland, mate. We're in the sort of... <laughs> oh, <I bet. laughs> Uh, a little bit tougher going over here for the heat. So that's what you get used to. New Zealand, mate, what did you go over there to have a look at? My wife's from Christchurch, so we come over here regularly. And with the bubble open, we thought, oh, let's pop over and see our friends and family over here. And 
And of course, then that got cancelled and we came for two weeks. We've been here for 15 with no clear path on how to get home at the moment. We actually had an AstraZeneca shot in Australia uh, and a Pfizer shot over here because we missed our second appointment. Yep. And that doesn't count. So we're, we're trying to negotiate with the New Zealand Health to get a second Pfizer shot. But because we're not immune deficient or, or you know have underlying health issues, they've got to get special permission to give us that second shot. And if we don't get the second shot, I'll be able to fly home. Unreal. So still a bit of work to be done. The bureaucratic rubbish that we're having to endure at the moment is just beyond a joke. Common sense seems to have left the building, I don't know. Mate, it's got to be knocking your business around, though. Mate, oh, to be honest, it just shows you that you know, in this day and age, business has changed and COVID's had a bit to do with that. We've been really busy. We've been doing an enormous amount of the Seeing Machines product, Geotab and Whip Around. So we've certainly not been impacted, which is really fortunate. It's actually been the best months of the year for our business so far. So Really? I can't complain about that. All right, eh? Okay. Well, well you might want to stay in New Zealand then, mate. <laughs> mate, I love this part of the world. I really do. And there are lovely people as well. But, you know, home is home and we're missing it now. And we'd really like to come home. Yeah. Well, I interviewed a guy from New Zealand there oh, under the other week. He's doing a thing called Little Truckers Down Under. That's a magazine that's aimed at the kids in the trucking industry, competitions and stuff like that. You want to look him up while you're over there, mate. Yeah, mate, I might well do that. Absolutely. Thank you. They're into the whole focusing trucking on the kids and trying to stark the spark. I think it's a great thing. But anyway, side issues. We're going to talk about fatigue, mate, and I'm going to admit something to you. What's that? I got a buzz and a bit of a scream from the sewing machine a few weeks ago now. Oh, you had a microsleep, did you? I had a microsleep, and I'll tell you what, I hadn't been driving very long when I did it either. I was only about an hour down the road. Yeah, and that aligns with a couple of the things that we know and I want to discuss today. Yeah, first shift back it was. I'd just flown back in and headed off down the road, you know, completely confident in what I was doing. And I honestly, it just makes me wonder about whether I have actually done it before or not because I didn't even realise it was going to happen until it happened. It was, I didn't, I wasn't feeling particularly doughy. It wasn't a particularly bad time of the day or night. It was completely unexpected to me. And just there, you've, you've actually identified two of the misconceptions I want to talk about today. Mm. The first one is, and, and the sleep science is really clear on this, you don't know when you start to micro-sleep. Yeah. Level one fatigue is yawning. Yep. Uh, level two is, did I, wh where's that exit? Did I miss it? Where am I? Yeah, yeah. And level three is when you move into micro-sleep. So level two, you start to cognitively shut down. Yeah. So, you know, you don't recognize as you move into micro-sleep. I've heard it so many times in the industry, people say, oh, my drivers will just pull over when they're tired. Mm. Well, if they don't know they're micro-sleeping, then how do they know to do something about it? Mm. Certainly, your experience and, and your surprises we fed back through my clients. A lot of drivers will, especially when we do a new rollout, will say, hey, this system went off and there was no reason. Then we'll look at the video yeah. and show the driver, and, and mate, there you are, micro-sleeping. Right, I didn't have any idea. I got the same. You know, obviously, they rang me up and asked me if I was okay. Surprised the hell out of me when the thing went off. And, of course, I basically said, what the, what's going on, you know? I didn't really feel tired or anything like that. But when I got back and we had a meeting about it in the office afterwards, and, you know, full credit to the people I'm working for, it was handled very well. I was never made to feel badly about it. I can't speak for everyone. Different management styles in different companies, but the people I'm working for were pretty good. And they said, here, have a look at this video. And I did, and I definitely had a nod. Yeah, it was unreal. Yeah, and look, it's really important to understand that someone who's fatiguing isn't doing anything wrong. Mm. They're just fatiguing, and it can happen at any part of the day, mm. which is also one of the other things I wanted to talk about is people talk about, you know, fatigue. We don't drive at night, so we don't have an issue with fatigue. Mm. And, you know, off millions of events captured globally and verified by the Guardian Safeguard Centres, 
the amount of fatigue is almost the same at every hour of the day. Yeah. You get the same at 2 a.m. as you get at 4 a.m. as you get at 10 a.m. as you get at 2 p.m. or 4 p.m. So it doesn't change. It's not relying on the time of day and everything. You might have a good night's sleep and be tired at the end of the day. You might have a bad night's sleep and be tired only early on the trip. Mm. So, you know, it's not dependent on the time of day at all. And and you hear that, oh, we don't drive at night, so we don't. Well, actually, it doesn't have anything to do with that. And certainly that's one of those misconceptions that I did want to discuss. Well, it seems to me, like, as I say, this is my first shift back in the truck after having a week off. There's more to going to work to drive than just ensure you've had a good sleep. There's a whole preparedness to work thing that you've got to go through and eat properly, do a little bit of exercise and try and look after yourself and be prepared to do the job. And I think I do all that stuff reasonably well. I suppose one of the reasons why it pains me to have to admit, well, it doesn't really pain me, I suppose, it's sort of more of a dent to the ego than anything because there I thought I was immune. I thought I did everything right. People that know me know how I feel about all this stuff. And to have to say, well, there, this happened. Would anything have happened as a result of it on a road out in the middle of nowhere? Maybe not, but maybe it could have. And that was the part that really drove home to me. Perhaps I've got away with this before. Who knows? Yeah, and what we often see too is that the micro-sleeps come in belts. You get a few in a row. You know, you come in, you come out, you come in, you come out. And so that's where it's very powerful because it gives the driver real-time information on his fatigue position. Then you can do something about it. If you don't know that you're fatiguing, then there's no way for you to really address that. I think about a court case, I think it was in 2019, and the gentleman had fatigued and gone across the road. A sedan family of four and it perished. And there was a DVR system in that car, so a camera system looking at him, but not the seeing machines. Yep. And that was part of the evidence. And he had 21 microsleeps before he had his 22nd. Yep. And it was the 22nd that was the crucial one. The judge said, you're the most remorseful criminal I've ever had to jail. Yeah. I feel very sorry for that guy because he wouldn't have known he'd had 21 microsleeps. Yep. He wouldn't have known that was the case. And so he wouldn't have known that he needed to maybe do something biomechanical, you know, have a coffee, get out of the truck, you know, have a break, you know, get a walk around. It's something to change the state. And unfortunately for him, that cost him his marriage, his house, and his freedom. And think of sleep science. That's a harsh ruling, but it was the ruling that was made. Had he had a system that could tell him now, hey, you're micro-sleeping, and as you say, a backup call, which is what Seeing Machines does. They look at each of the videos, and they look at if there's true fatigue, they'll actually then phone the operations and say, you might want to intervene or have a chat to your driver. There's some science about why that Guardian Safeguard Centre is there. It improves the reduction of fatigue by 30%, is my understanding. So certainly that real-time information is one of the most powerful parts of it because then the driver can do something about it. Yeah, well, that's it. I'm not the only person now. I mean, I know I've had the personal experience now. I've had the distracted buzzers and all that sort of stuff in the past. I made an art form of it when it was first installed in the truck (laughs) to the point where I actually squinted my eyes shut and gave it the finger. (laughs) (laughs) GG, Mike, I've seen a few fingers. Don't you worry about that. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you what, it was just so frustrating. But there's no escaping the fact that the technology of one form or another is in the cab to stay. There's no escaping the fact that somehow or another, sometimes that's going to be made use of. There's no escaping the fact that it does show exactly what happened, and if you're wrong, it'll show that. There's also no escaping the fact that all this technology is making people probably a little bit more, I hesitate to use the word professional because I think we've always been professional, but probably a little bit more aware of what we're doing and maybe reducing a few of the behaviours that aren't as beneficial as we think they are. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned before that, you know, when you first got in the cab, you're setting it off and, and distractions measured on the tilt of the head, yep. up or down or left or right by a certain degrees, 25 or 30 degrees yep. for four seconds. It can be lengthened. If you're driving a triple mm. and you want to use your mirrors or something, you might want to lengthen the amount of time that you're allowed to look in a certain direction because you, you are going to use your mirrors. Yep. But what we do see is when the system goes in, Drivers start to learn to say inside the four or five seconds that they're allowed. Mm. They start to realise if you're looking down at me and you're trying to grab something, you can forget just how long you've done that for. Yeah. And so you sort of realise, okay, well, that thing's going off, so I'm going to look up again. Yeah. And that makes you exponentially safer. Yep. And that's true. You modify your behaviour a little bit, and I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. There's nothing like a bit of a smack in the back of the head to make you pay attention to what you should be doing, you know, metaphorically, of course. Yeah, absolutely. At the same time, if that makes you safer, well, so be it. And like you say, you can be scrabbling around on the floor looking for your cigarette lighter that you've dropped or something like that. Not that I've done that for a long time, but hmm. I'm sure that there are blokes out there that can relate to that. For me, it's reaching down to grab a drink or something and then jamming your hand in the fridge or something. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the one that gets me, but... We should be talking about fatigue. We've burned two-thirds of our interview talking about other crap. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, mate, I love it. But the listeners should know that there's more than seeing Machines Guardian on the market. There are several systems on the market. If we're not talking about yours and you want to talk about yours, feel free to contact me. I'm more than happy to. But they all do the same thing. And Mick, I've discovered that it really does depend on where these things are installed, how sensitive and how painful they are too. Yeah, and I listened to your podcast with Adam Gibson from NTI when you talked about your experience. Mm. And you're right, we've got to place these cameras in the position that suits the driver. And sometimes it works where you got it, I think you had it originally, mm. up on the A-pillar. Most of the time we like to put it on the dash just to the left. Yep. Obviously what we're trying to do is make sure we get a good view of the eyes because fatigue is measured by closure of eyes by 1.5 seconds. Mm. And that's where you know some of the drivers say, well, I was only yawning you close your eyes. Yeah. I've seen drivers sing and of course they're singing away and of course they close their eyes or laugh yeah. and say, so, you know, that measures it by that eye closure. Yeah. The Safeguard Guardian Centre will look at that and say, well, that's normal driving. That's okay. Yeah. The system might capture it in cab as that, but they'll reclassify that and say, we're not well concerned about that. That's fine, that driving behaviour. Yeah. That is a part of the limitation of the technology, but that's the best way to measure fatigue at the moment that seeing machines have seen. I'm talking with Mick Carter, Director of Beyond Clarity, and we'll be back after this quick word from our sponsors. If you need signage or graphics for your truck, trailer, van, boat, equipment or business, the Sticker Shed is the fast and cost-efficient large-format digital print and vinyl cut graphic business that can meet all your needs. They specialise in signs, graphics, decals, stickers, banners, one-way window signage and even large-scale canvas prints. Don't be fooled by the name, the Sticker Shed has a fully mobile production facility, which means they can manufacture your signage or graphics on the spot. Even if they're not in your area, they can still custom make your signs, stickers and graphics and ship them to you. For more information or to obtain a quote, send an email to brett at thestickershed.com.au, visit the Sticker Shed Facebook page or call Brett on 0412 105 151. The Sticker Shed, their business is making your business look great. So, mate, let's just do fatigue for a few minutes. Yep. The book that you referenced when we talked, I can't bring the title to mind. What was that book we were talking about? 
It was called Why We Sleep by Professor Matthew Walker, who's the head of sleep research and psychology at the University of California, Berkeley. Mm. And it was referred to me by someone because I was talking about, obviously, fatigue. And I thought, oh, well, that's interesting. And what's interesting about fatigue is they've learned a lot about it just in the last decade. The technology they've got now that can measure it and watch it, they've learned an enormous amount compared to what we knew around 2000 today. It's a different world. Mm. Why We Sleep is a book I recommend to anybody. I got it for my kids. I said, you got to read this. This is extraordinarily important for your health. And it certainly adjusted the way I went about my sleep pattern. There's one thing that's very clear. Everybody needs at least about eight hours, absolute minimum of seven. And I'll talk to you about why in a second. There's a very, very tiny percentage who can get away with less than seven. And it's through quality science from all over the globe. So yeah, the book certainly impressed upon me the extraordinarily powerful impacts of poor sleep. Mentally, physically, emotionally, there's a whole raft of issues that come out of not getting a good seven hours. Mm. And if you're going to get a good seven hours, then you've got to give yourself what they call a sleep opportunity of nine. So you need to be lying down and getting yourself in the right spot so that you can actually get that true seven. My kids bought me a Fitbit for my birthday a couple of years ago. Not the sort of thing I'd normally wear, to be honest, but we've always have a rule in our family, no dust collectors, nothing to sit on the mantelpiece. Mm. And they said, here you go, Dad, you can use this. And I haven't taken it off. Mm. I was very dubious about it. And one of the things it does do is measure my sleep. And you can get up in the morning, check your app and say, how did I go? And it'll give you a rating on your sleep. And it'll tell you how long you're actually truly asleep for. Mm. The seven hours is something I'm pushing for all the time. And rarely do I miss it these days. I'm not a person that can sleep in in the mornings. Mm. I'm going to need to go to bed to get the seven. I'm an early riser, 5, 5.30. So if I want to get that, I'm going to have to get into bed around that 8.39 to do that. I mean, we all have a late night here and there. But if you can make the norm, the attainment of seven hours, it'll improve your health and your mental state and your emotional state enormously. The big problem is, though, Mick, we all know for truck drivers, getting a nine-hour-in-a-row stopped opportunity on the road for a long-distance driver, that's a big ask. It is. And then to be able to marry that up with somewhere that's got enough shade, that's cool enough, that's got a facility to use, to get the whole recipe in there to bake that perfect sleep cake on the road as a truck driver, it's a big ask sometimes. The other part about it is obviously too, when you're doing rotating shifts or shift work or something like that, all this sort of stuff affects what you do. And I don't think sometimes people think, oh, I've been doing this for years and I've been fine. They don't realise exactly about how the sleep and the fatigue deficit builds up. And to come up with useful strategies is probably the key thing, isn't it, about how to get a, a good sleep. Yeah, and I'll talk about some of the tips that he mentions, Matthew, Professor Matthew Walker, in the book there. <laughs> but you're right, and that can probably drives the need for drivers to consider having a fatigue monitoring system for them because you're in an environment where it's very difficult to get good, regular, solid sleep. Yeah. And you can't avoid the signs. They're very clear on that, that you need to do that and get that time. But because you can't always, it's good to have a backup system that can just say, hey, wake up. You need to recognise that you're starting to micro-sleep and do something about it. Yeah, that's the key thing. I really don't know where we can go now, Mick. It's probably best if we just sort of leave it there for that. I want to get you back and talk about this whip-around thing that you've got going. Mike, before you do, I want to actually just mention why the seven hours. Yeah. Because a lot of people don't recognise why I need seven hours. You know, I don't have to have seven hours. I'm special. You have five stages of sleep. And the first stage is REM, rapid eye movement sleep. And what the brain does, the prefrontal cortex, the guy at the front of your forehead there, he's the CEO of your brain. 
He paralyzes your body through a thing called a thalamus. So basically, she says, stop moving. Sometimes that doesn't work. Some people who sleepwalk and things. But most of the time, he says, stop moving. And he wants you to stop moving because what he's going to do is he's going to compare everything he's learned today versus everything he's already known. Yep. And the CEO's job in the first stage of sleep is to go, do I want to keep this info? Is it useful? Can I store it? And is it reinforcement of something I've learned in the past? Or is it just useless information and I don't need? And he does this job in the first stage of REM. That's what he does. Keep, don't keep, keep, file, don't file, right? Yep. There's a little partner in the middle of that area near the thalamus. It's called the limbic center, which is called the hippocampus. And he does all the filing, right? Now, he doesn't do any filing yet. In the first stage in REM, the CEO just compares it. And that's where you get these images and the dreaming and that sort of stuff. You have to REM every 24 hours. So ultra marathon people, if they run for the 72 hours or whatever, you can talk to them. They'll often have hallucinations they'll talk about. Well, that's actually their body going, we've got a REM. You're not stopping moving, but we've got to do REM. There's stories of ultramarathon seeing Bugs Bunny on the side of the road and their mother there and, you know, whatnot, because that's actually the REM process kicking in. Once REM's finished, the CEO says, I'm done, and he goes to sleep, and you go into four stages of non-REM. And so each one of these stages is really important. The first three, and this is what they can actually see now, they call it sleep spindles, is where the hippocampus is filing the information that the CEO said to keep. It's an electrical current. They can actually watch the information being filed into your different part of your brain. And those first three stages of what's called non-REM sleep is where the filing's done of all the information. And this is where the seven hours is important because the fourth stage of non-REM sleep is where you get rid of the rubbish. You clear the warehouse. You move all the stuff you don't need. And if you're getting a lot of poor sleep, he mentions in the book that people he believes are being misdiagnosed for dementia because what's happening is they can't remember anything because the warehouse is full because they're not getting their stage four non-REM sleep. And as a result of not getting the stage four non-REM sleep, they can't store new info. And so when they go to store it, people say, oh, I told you yesterday. Oh, I forgot. God, I couldn't remember. Oh, sorry. I heard you told me 10 minutes ago. Gee, what happened there? And of course, as you get older, it gets harder to get a good solid night's sleep. And so that four stage of non-REM sleep can be missed and it impacts you significantly in your ability of your brain function to store new information moving forward. And that's why you need seven. And you can't avoid that. Whether It doesn't matter who you are. You need to have your four stage of non-REM to successfully be able to take on new information to be able to restore and keep those memories that you want to keep. I've heard that before, like in a different way. You put that quite well. That's pretty much straight out of the book, is it? My interpretation of the book, I'm not Professor Matthew Walker. He's on Joe Rogan, so yeah. he actually does mention that on the Joe Rogan podcast. Yeah, righto. Oh, well, there you go. So might be worth going and having a look at that. What's that bloke's name again? Professor Matthew Walker from Why We Sleep in the book, and, and he mentions, obviously, some tips that he talks about. He also talks specifically about the, the transport industry and the fatigue. He believes that the focus on fatigue isn't anywhere near that it should be. We have a huge focus on speeding, drugs, alcohol, Mm. those sorts of things. He says that the focus on fatigue isn't anywhere near it needs to be. An industry needs to start taking a good hard look at the new information. This is brand new information in the last decade Mm. and starting to look at how that applies to the way that driver hours are legislated and managed. There's a whole section he talked about it. Fortunately, in New Zealand, I don't have the book. I think we did mention it last time, but certainly there's a whole section he talks about it. It's obviously very important for the authorities to have a look at that because it's new information and it tells us that we're probably not doing it as well as we should be. Yeah, well, the NTC over here were talking only a few weeks ago about altering the logbooks, reducing the amount of hours drivers were supposed to be able to drive unless they wanted to go through and do fatigue training and all the rest of it. 
Ultimately, they've backed away from that position now after there was a huge outcry about it. But everyone was saying, well, just looking at fatigue as a safety measure in transport is a pretty blunt instrument. It may be a blunt instrument, but it is an important instrument. Yes, with the information that they had, they had to do what they had to do. Mm. There was no challenging that. You mentioned earlier, Mike, I jumped in the truck and I was an hour into my trip. And that's when you had your microsleep. Yeah. That's actually what we see a lot of. If we saw, and this is one of the misconceptions, is that people say, oh, well, I don't do long trips. Yeah. Uh, you know, I only do three or four-hour runs and then turn around and come back. Mm. Well, what we see, the highest points that you see of fatigue are in the first 30 to 90 minutes. Yeah, right. Yep, yep, yep. So it's not the end of the route we need to worry about. It's the first bit, right? So if we're being told that we've got to do a Brisbane to Darwin and, and down the East Coast run, if I don't meet my first five hours and get through my speedy cams, I'm going to not get home on Friday night. I'm going to push myself to get there, aren't I? That's right. Yet that flies in the face of what we now know is that that's where the, a lot of the problems happen. They pop in, in the first 30 to 90 minutes. Yep. And if you look at the NTI report about some of the accidents and you drill down on some of the data, a lot of those accidents happen at sort of 45 to 90 minutes from the depot. Yep. And you said after a weekend off, well, that's your most dangerous time. It's kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? You know, yeah. After my weekend off when I'm rested, I'm more likely to get fatigue in my first hour than I am on the next day on Tuesday yep. when I've actually done a full day's work. And that's very counterintuitive, but that's actually what we see with the data that comes through. So when we say legislate, oh, we've got to drive you know, five hours and then you can have a break. It doesn't really work that way. And I think there's an opportunity with these styles of fatigue monitoring systems to look at the flexibility and fatigue that the industry's been talking about. Yep. Sometimes, as you know, Mike, you can pull up and you're as fresh as a daisy yeah. and I'm run out of hours, yeah. but I can't drive the 78 minutes I need to go. Yeah. I've got to pull up here now and, and I don't feel tired. And I could have had a nice bunk and a hot meal, but no, I'm on the back of the truck. So, you know, there's certainly some opportunities here to look at the new information from sleep science and the new technologies there that can help provide that flexibility, which I think would make the industry potentially more profitable, especially in those instances where you're pulling up an hour and a half short and you don't feel tired and you can get in. It would be nice to see some things change, that's for sure. Yeah. I've been talking with Mick Carter from Beyond Clarity. They're the agents for Guardian and Whip Around and a few other things. You can look them up on the web, on Facebook. Mick, thanks for joining us, mate. Thanks for going through all that with us. Really appreciate it. And we'll get you back again to have a talk about Whip Around down the track. No problem at all. And if you get Why We Sleep or you don't want to buy the book, just go and Google Why We Sleep 12 Sleeping Tips. There's some really nice tips. Not all of them are easy for drivers to do, but there's some interesting stuff in there. Like the idea of having a hot bath or a hot shower, really hot shower, that brings the blood to the surface. You want to be more cooler when you're sleeping than hotter, believe it or not. When to exercise, if you do want to do your exercise, it shouldn't be as you're about to go to bed. So just Google why we see 12 sleeping tips and you'll find it quite easily. And certainly if you can adopt some of them, that might improve your ability to get those very important seven hours. Okay, great. Well, we've got a bit of Googling to do. Thanks for joining us. Good on you, Mike. Thanks very much. <laughs> Cheers. G'day guys, it's Tone from Tone's Trucking Stories here and TruckWiz. And you can now listen to the On The Road podcast on the Australian Big Rig Road Show via the TruckWiz app. Download it from the App Store right now. It's time for Wake the Truck Up with Ben Charles, the Truckies Tax Accounting Specialist. Soon as I get paid. Yeah. 
Thanks, Andy and Mike. I'm Benjamin Charles of Truckies Tax Accountants here each week to help hard-working Aussie truckies wake the truck up. We want to increase your refunds from 22 and onwards and help you recover extra refunds from the returns you've lodged by identifying unclaimed expenses. In the past weeks, from episode 58 onwards, we've discussed such things as how to amend your return to get your unclaimed refunds, how to keep perfect records using our free and easy method, how to claim your car up to $25,000 a year, and last week, how to claim your meals, whether you be an overnight driver in the state line hall and it's 30,000 plus, or you're working locally and it's around about up to $10,000. This week, we're gonna go through all the other expenses, the stuff you know, but I'm gonna highlight the things that you don't claim that you should be claiming. Firstly, let's talk about clothing. Everyone knows about clothes, but the thing I find my clients aren't claiming, whilst they claim their boots, they forget everything that goes with the boots. Cleaners, dubbing, waterproofing, laces, the gel inserts, orthotics, odor eater, odor eater spray, for instance. High-vis socks, you can't claim the blues and the blacks, but high-vis are so fugly that they are work only. So switch to high-vis socks so you can claim the money you spend on socks. The same logic applies to undies. To protect your nuts from overheating or your thighs from chafing, there are now brands such as Tradies and One Steps and Fiji's and so forth that protect you. Therefore, if you buy those protective wear, we can claim them as protective wear. Also, people claim their laundry habitually, excellent, but they forget about the laundry they may do on the road. The washing machine, the drying machine, a little bit of powder adds up, sometimes significantly so. Prescription glasses, I know you wear them at home. Some people say you can't claim them, but think about it. If you buy a pair of prescription glasses and you use them 60% of the time for work, to read, to drive, we'll claim them 60% of that cost. The same logic applies to other things that you use privately, like your car. Back rubs, dink rub, deep heat, other things to keep you going for those 14-hour days whilst driving a truck, let's claim those. Those thwackers or thongs that you wear, you might wear them while you're driving, but you'll also wear them while you're showering. And to avoid skunkyitis, I'm not sure what the technical term it is, but if you're, <laughs> you're going to wear them in the shower, let's claim them as protective wear. Any braces you have for your back, knees, wrists, ankles, COVID masks, and hand sanitizer. Your telephone. I know you know about your telephone, but too many people underclaim or poor figure out of their proverbial. Let's sit down and find the time you spend on the phone versus privately. You might spend six hours a day on the phone for six days a week whereas you spend two hours a day privately, seven days a week, 14 hours. Therefore, 72% of the time when you're on the phone is for work. So we claim 72% of it, okay? So it's like a mini logbook for your phone. So do that to make sure you claim the most you can claim and it's supported. People know about the telephone, but they forget about all the telephone accessories, your phone chargers, your protective cases, your screen protectors, your Bluetooth headsets, your repairs, your phone apps like Wiz and Logbook Checker your phone holder and cradle, even torches, batteries for torches, headlamps and so forth, I find people forget. All the other stuff, when it comes to tools, I think you know about. Then you've got your licenses. Believe it or not, I come across truck drivers who forget to claim their license. So make sure you claim your licenses, be they truck license, forklift, dangerous goods, SLP, MSIC, fatigue management, traffic history, demerit point report, white card, blue card, medical check, police check, piss test. If you have to pay for one of those things, claim it. Logbooks you know about, stationery you know about, $10 for donations you can claim for that chicken feed, gold coins you hand out. So they're the sort of things that people forget. You know about the rest, and of course, no matter whether it's your car or your clothing or all the things I've just highlighted and all the things you already know about, 
make sure you use the tax mother trucker card and photograph every receipt using our free and easy method, which we went through on episode 59. So remember, Andy, Mike, and I are always keen to hear from you. So please send in your questions, requests, and comments to ontheroadpodcast.com.au or if you're a lazy truck like me, 24-7, call us on one 300 Remembering your questions are things that all truck drivers may be interested in. Remember, everything I tell you about today is just passing on information that you can find by calling the ATO on one 861 or jumping on ato.gov.au because only the ATO are correct when it comes to what you can and can't claim. So don't believe me, don't believe others, don't believe the fellow truckies. Finally, for God's sakes, wake the truck up. It's free to listen here, it's free to learn, it's free to implement, and it's also free to call us on one 300 with all your questions or even book a chat free of charge. Until next week or when you make your booking, I'm Benjamin Charles for Truckies Tax Accountants. Keep it safe out there. Bye. Soon as I get paid. Road News is brought to you by Big Rigs, Australia's national road transport newspaper. Hey Mike. Hey, how are you mate? Doing alright mate. Remembrance Day yesterday, so a good time to remember those who gave their all for our freedom. There's a lot I could say about that, I just can't. Hmm. I sort of think about what our armed forces have done. Hmm. And I look at the way their memory's being rewarded now mate and I find it really difficult to reconcile the two. Oh yeah does upset me a lot and then I look at the way France is carrying on like a spoilt child now and the thousands of our countrymen who spent their lives to keep them free to help keep the French free yeah and they're going to carry on like two bob watches now very very short memories some people need to read a history book anyway to all those who served from us a huge thank you thank you very much for your service yeah on an entirely different note mate it was my wedding anniversary on Tuesday was it really We were having a quite romantic dinner together and the bride went all starry-eyed and whispered, I love you. Oh, God. I said, is that you talking or the wine? She said, it's me talking to the wine. (sighs) Oh, dear, oh, dear. Mate, over 600 trucks came together last weekend for the 12th annual Brisbane Convoy for Kids. Apparently it was, as you would say, huge. It was huge, mate. (laughs) Go to bigrigs.com.au, click on the news section, have a bit of a look there. You can see some pretty sexy bits of gear. Mm-hmm. Some great award winners too. Mac Trans took out the truck of the show and uh, the best 2021 model truck, not a model truck, but the best 2021 model, so new truck, went to... <laughs> I knew what you meant. That's good. I've known you too long. I didn't know what I meant. <laughs> Bondwoods, the best 2020 was Monaro Fuel Oils. They have always had some very nice looking trucks, those two crowds. Mm. The best part about it is though, it's the trucking industry coming back together to do something which is very, very important. It's a big time for the Convoy for Kids. We've got the Illawarra one coming up very shortly. There's the Goulburn Convoy for Kids. Just about every city's got a Convoy for Kids coming up in the next month or so. So it's time to get out there, dig deep, make some donations for a good cause. I raised 60000 bucks apparently. About fifteen came from an auction of over 50 items that went under the hammer. Yeah. Ranging from things like teddy bears, truck seats, Convoy for Kids logos and all that sort of stuff. So... Really, really good effort. What a great parade of really flash-looking jiggers. It just makes me proud to see what's going on there. Fantastic.
The NHVR's five-year strategy for heavy vehicle safety is set to deliver key initiatives during its first year, like more fatigue risk management and the promotion of safer, cleaner and more efficient heavy vehicles. Yeah, uh, look, it's nice that they've got a plan, and I mean, I'd encourage people to go and read the story for themselves. There's three guiding themes based about the plan that's been driven by the industry, including creative positive change for individual behaviours and culture, driving uptake of a more modern, safer heavy vehicle fleet, and influencing road network design and use to support road safety. Mm. Sam Petricotto has been out there flogging his vision. Yeah. And there's a lot in it, talking about advanced fatigue management strategies, delivering improved accessible safety management systems, assisting industry to deliver specific codes of practice, and the list goes on. Mm. It's a great plan, and I hope a lot of it comes together. We've got to move away from where we are sometimes. But I'll tell you what, there's more significant things I do. I wish that they would get on the bandwagon and get behind some of the six points that the National Road Freighters Association have put out there Mm. and think about some more practical things rather than changing regulation. How about producing a few more rest areas? Yeah. How about producing a few areas with shade and some facilities? Yeah. How about relaxing the way some of the non-driving related, non-safety related enforcement issues are dealt with? That would be good. Yeah. If they could fit some of that in as well, I'd be a little bit more supportive of the whole plan. Not that I don't support it now, but it could be better, I think. Well, this is year one. Maybe year two will show some additions there. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe it will. And Mike, after a motorist failed to stop at an intersection south of Adelaide last week, a truckie had a lucky escape from serious injury. Mm. The truckie shared his dash cam footage with police and Channel 9 News, of course, and a witness also fortuitously had filmed the motorist fleeing the scene. This is one of those things people talk about, oh, you know, if I had a dash cam, it might catch me doing the wrong thing. Well, dash cams, yes, if you're doing the wrong thing, they'll show that. But when the other Muppet's doing the wrong thing, they'll show that too. Mm. You know, it'll exonerate you just as quickly. Yeah. So this is what we've got here. This guy's been filmed fleeing the scene even. Failed to stop. The evidence is pretty clear. Dash cam saved this bloke. To be honest with you, I don't know why anyone would run around without a dash cam now. There's plenty of good ones on the market. They're fairly cheap and fairly reliable. If your company hasn't put one in, put one in yourself. And at least that way, you've got control over the footage. Mm. You can have a look back in, in retrospect and you can learn a few things yourself, actually. You can be surprised how much you contribute sometimes to some of the things that go wrong. I know from my experience, I've looked at some of my footage sometimes. And I thought, gee, if I'd only reacted just a little bit earlier, it's actually made me better, I think. Well, mine's reminded me of just how vocal I tend to get when I'm driving. (laughs) (laughs) Not something I can usually play back in front of the missus. Well, this is right. That truck one might come in handy on some of mine, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Made in Who Owns Who in the Zoo News, Mm. Oztec Chemicals Proprietary Limited has been acquired by specialist chemicals business DGL Group in a $13 million deal that sees DGL expand into the sustainable vehicle space. I'll tell you what, they're splashing the cash, DGL, aren't they? Aren't they what? Mate, what was it, eight or nine million for shackles there not long ago? Mm. Now another 13 million here. There's a lot of money going around in the chemical industry by the look of it. Yeah. They've picked up a network of 51 facilities stretching from Darwin to Christchurch. Wow. With a throughput of 1.5 million metric tonnes per annum Mm. and over 2,000 regular customers. So they're basically buying a business that's operating and amalgamating all this stuff together. Obviously, some of the customers that they've picked up from other acquisitions will be merging together. It's going to create one much larger entity. TGL says uh, they're going to retain all of Austec's staff and management. Mm. We'll see how they go. I've carded stuff for DGL. 
I was just going to say, if they're looking for drivers, I, I know a very experienced tanker driver that would be an absolute catch for them. <laughs> and, mate, facing six charges of fatigue breaches that carry a penalty of $103,440, a driver has instead been ordered by the South Australian court to obtain an electronic work diary. Interesting one, that. Hmm. Tell you what, he's escaped a bit of a fine, hasn't he? Somewhat. Yeah, just to get an electronic work diary. We've had conversations about electronic work diaries for ages now, and there are some on the market that are pretty easy to get your hands on. Mm. You don't have to run a paper diary anymore. You don't have to be stuck in that mould. And there are a lot of advantages to running an electronic work diary. It just does require a little bit of a change of attitude. Remember we talked last week about the breaches that were caught up in that Operation Convoy? Yep. Mate, a lot of these little breaches can be caught by the electronic work diaries. Mm. They prevent you from making mistakes, going over hours, you know, caught them now here and there. So the court ordered the driver pay a $6,000 fine, which was wholly suspended if it was compliant with this enforcement order. So they seem as though they're going to go ahead and do a lot more of these things now. They're going to stop fining people millions of dollars and start making them do some things that improve their safety, have some training and stuff like that. Yep. Nothing wrong with that. I don't have a problem with that. Mm. But it is something that needs to be, I suppose, a little bit more targeted. There are a lot of benefits there for people that are using electronic work diaries, as I've said and written about in the past. So if you go to the story, truck you ordered by an EWD on bigrigs.com.au, down about the bottom of the story, there's a link there you can click and you can see all the benefits of having an EWD and they will be a lifesaver financially for a lot of guys, I think. Too many guys make silly administration errors, which cost them big money. That happens over and over and over again. Mm. One sure way to stop it is to embrace the technology sometimes and let that work for you. Yeah, not always easy for us technophobes. No. Yep, it's worth it in the end. It is, it is. Well, mate, that's all of our regular news, but a little bit of off-the-record news without notice. Mm. Rumours flying around on Twitter at the moment that a certain Oztrucker might be heading into politics. Any truth in that? Well, I've had a couple of conversations with a few people. Yeah. And I can't see it happening. I enjoy sniping too much from the sidelines. Look, having said that, never say never. I honestly think that there is a place in the Parliament or, you know, in the House or the Senate for someone who speaks their mind. I can't imagine how it would go down if you saw me stand up to make a maiden speech and me say, listen up, you bastards. <laughs> Ren Stirl might have a laugh. I think there'd be a few, mate. Pauline Hanson might have a laugh, yeah. but I'm fairly sure the Senate might find it less than amusing, although it'd be interesting to have it in Hansard for prosperity. I sort of think that that might tickle my fancy, but there's a long, long, long way to go before any of that would happen and a lot of considerations to make. You know, the media tend to have a bit of a dig around and like most blokes, have a few things that I did when I was 18 that weren't that smart. Mm. You know, we rebuild our lives, but sometimes the media tend to focus on things that probably don't matter anymore, you know. Yeah, go digging for skeletons in the closet and all that. Put it this way, the Oz trucker went home in the back of the Dibby Bank one night. <laughs> <laughs> no further information required, Your Honour. And I even pled guilty at the time. Yeah, good on you. You've always been honest, if nothing else, mate. Well, we try, we try, and I I think that's something that's lacking. I think there's a few too many politicians there now that might think something and say something different. does disturb me, particularly with the way things are going right now. I certainly think that we should think about our values and what our country stands for and think about our votes a lot more than we do. Oh, yeah. Thank you for putting us straight on that. So watch this space. It may or may not happen. 
Give me a vote if you feel like you let me know. Yeah, well. Send me a message. Uh, I, I think we've already seen evidence of a few that would. Yeah. Mike, thought for the week. The best way to remember your wedding anniversary is to forget it just once. (laughs) And I I hasten to add that that has nothing to do with the fact that it was my wedding anniversary this week because I did remember it. Did you? Right at the last minute and raced off to get a card while she was walking the dog, but you know. Ah, good. Well done. Go you. All was sorted, so there you go. All right, mate. Thank you for that. Have a good one. Right, no worries. We'll see you shortly. For all the latest industry news, go to www.bigrigs.com.au. This is Dane Sharp, and you're listening to On the Road with Mike and Andy on the Big Rig Roadshow. It's Mike Williams from On the Road Podcast. How are you going? Yeah, it could be better, mate. Could be better. Yeah, buddy. Shelley tells me you're having a few dramas up at Bogabilla, mate. Well, mate, there's 10 or something of us here, all still waiting for COVID results. A couple of them were tested Thursday afternoon, hmm. and the rest of us were tested Friday morning. Yep. And we've been sitting here at Bogabilla. We can't go anywhere. We've got shopping centre 12 kilometres away. We can't get to to get groceries, to get food. Yeah. We're sitting here at the Shell of Bogabilla. Now, the cafe's closed here, and I can understand Sarah here. She's having trouble getting staff and everything, and so she's worked six days a week by herself. So I can understand her not being here today. She needs a day off, so that's understandable. Yep. It's just frustrating, mate, you know. It's just, yeah, we just can't do anything, you know. Right, so what's the response? Where's the checkpoint? Is it still up at the roundabout, is it? Yeah, mate, yeah. Still the roundabout at uh, Gundawindi. Yep. All our tests apparently missed the plane on Friday afternoon. Mm. So they put him in a courier to go to Sydney. Yep. Now, I've had two reports from Laverty. I've been on to Laverty probably six times since yesterday and today. Yep. One person told me today that they just received two eskies full from Moree 15 minutes ago, and that was this morning. Yes. But I've had another report that said they received a couple of eskies last night. But what I can gather is when we got tested, because they've had this big outbreak at Moree because of these stupid people that have gone from Moree to Gundawindi to a funeral, yep. stayed three days and partied and then went home, and now they've had this big outbreak in Moree. Right. Right. Now, they had a line-up about a kilometre long when I went in to get tested for COVID. Mm. Now, that's all well and good. Those people are going to be tested because Maury's apparently gone into lockdown. Yeah. They're at home. They're, they're in their comfort of their own home. Yeah, of course, yep. I'm trying to get home because Harvest has been washed out for a few days. Mm. So I've got a load to go home. I can get washed and done. I can top my grocery supply up. But when they've done the samples, they put all us transport people, all us essential workers, in with all the locals. Right. So now we've just got to wait until they go through everybody's and ours might come through there at some point. Right, so you're stuck at the back of the shell at Bogabilla. Yep. Have you got access to the showers and the toilets and that there? Yeah, showers and toilets are okay, mate, yep. And obviously in the petrol side of it with the little convenience store there, that's all open. It's just the restaurant that's shut. Yeah, yeah, that's all there, but I'm a diabetic too. Yeah. So I can only sort of eat certain stuff. Oh, yeah, I get it, mate. My other half's a diabetic, yeah. I'm not using that as an excuse or anything, by all means. Mm. I've got a couple of tins of spaghetti left. Yep. So I've sort of had spaghetti on toast this morning. Yep. And what makes it worse is I should have been home yesterday. Yep. It was a last-minute thing that the rain washed us out. So I thought, yeah, righto, I'll get it tested more Friday morning on my way up. 
I've got loaded, and I thought, well, I should have it by early Saturday morning. Be all good. Yep. I'll unload, then I'll go home. The wife's got the weekend off work this weekend. I thought, well, that's going to be great. I'm going to have a couple of days with her before I go back away for sort of three or four weeks, you know? Yeah. So here you are, stuck on the side of the road at Bogabilla, yeah. when a rapid antigen test worth a few bucks would let you cross the border and go home. Where's home, mate? Uh, Brisbane, mate. It's switching Brisbane, yeah. You're four hours from home? Four hours from home, mate, yeah. Unreal. Unreal. And what, there's nine of you there now? One bloke's already gone. There was about 11 or 12 of us. Yep. One bloke's been told to go back to Bladder and try and get a couple of loads because a lot of us are all harvest people. Oh, right, oh, yep. Yeah, a lot of us blokes are on harvest. I know there's a couple of loaded trucks here. We're all hooked in to unload in at Brisbane at the port or a QBT in at Brisbane. Yep. Now, I was booked in to unload yesterday at lunchtime, yep. but obviously I've been stuck here, so I can't get there. But they've changed me now till tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock, and it, it's not looking good for there either, you know? Right, so here's the big question, Tim. Yep. Are you vaccinated? I am, mate. I've got two jabs, mate. I've got both my jabs. So you're double vaccinated? Double vaccinated, but my last seven-day test was on the 25th of the 10th because I wasn't expecting to come home so quick. Yeah. So I didn't bother getting another one. Yep. I did book myself into Narrabri to get done on Thursday afternoon because where I'm carting out of, I've done a load into Edgeroy. I laid into Ballatta, yep. and my third load was going into Narrabri. So I thought, well, right, eh? I'll book myself into Narrabri Hospital. I'll go and get tested there just in case this rain hits and I've got to go home. Yep. But that didn't happen because as soon as I'd unloaded my Ballatta load, I couldn't get back to the property because it got rained out. Yeah. So I thought, well, if I'm going to go and get a load, I'll get a test done at Moree on my way through. Mm. And I asked them if I could get a rapid. Yep. They said, oh, no, we can't do them. All right, eh? That's what the lady said to me, so, yeah. So, the next big question, I suppose, Tim, are you an owner-driver or a company driver? No, a company driver, mate. And are you being paid to sit there, mate? No. There you go. Yep. Unbelievable. Yep, exactly right, mate. So, you've got no choice but to be there. You're there at yep. the whim and the mercy of someone else. That's right. Your time at home has been sacrificed. Obviously, the boss is going to expect you to go back to it. Now, I'm not going to comment about your boss, mate. No, no, I work for a pretty good company, mate. Like, you let me go home so I can get me washing done and get me groceries and everything. But my biggest thing is not spending a couple of days with the wife. Yeah. Even though, like, I wasn't going to anyway if Harbour was still going. It's an opportunity missed. That's exactly right. The way it was, it was an opportunity to spend a couple of days, you know? Yeah, no, I bloody feel your pain, mate. I've been in the same position myself yep. time after time after time. I mean, I don't know, Shelley told you that I, I am a driver, so... Yeah, yeah. The short story of it is, as I say, you're sitting there at the moment. You've missed the opportunity to go home. What sort of a truck are you in, out of interest? Uh, mate, I'm in a uh, 100-year Max Superliner. All right, so has it got a decent-sized bunk on it? Mate, I've got a 60-inch bunk. I've got all the mods and cons, mate. I've got a big upright fridge in the bunk. I've got TV, microwave. Yeah. Plus, I've got my own toaster. Yep. Air fryer. I've got all the gear. Well, you're one of the lucky ones, though. I will say I am one of the lucky ones. There's a lot getting around without things. I've gone through the hard things over time as well. And, mm. and uh, like, my first interstate job was with a company in Tamworth called Peppers Transport. Yeah. I used to drive a single-drive S-line interstate for them with no sleeper. <laughs> Those were the days. And I used to sleep across the seat with a little 290 Cummins. Those were the days. Those were the days, mate. No air con, no ice packs, nothing back then. I'll tell you what, I wouldn't go back to it either. <laughs> 
I did it myself, mate. I actually drove a buggy drive S-Line with no sleeper on it. Yeah. We used to have a little box thing with a lid that you could sort of fold down to make the bed across the seat, and I still used to hang my feet out the passenger window when I first started. Yeah, that's right. Very first trip I ever did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, look, it's, it's good to talk to you. Thanks for joining us on the show, Tim. Keep it safe out there, mate, and hope you get sorted out soon. Let me know how you go. Yeah, no worries, mate. The lady here at the Shell... She's actually coming in about 2 o'clock to cook us some probably hamburgers and things like that with the blokes that are still stuck here, so a big shout-out to her. Bloody oath. I'll do a free ad for her on the show. No, that'd be good, mate. I'll ring the shell at Boggabilla and I'll have a chat to her. That'd be much appreciated, mate, so... I uh, no, we'll do it. All right, Tim, you take care, mate, and we'll catch up with you again down the track. No worries, mate. Thank you very much for talking to me. Right, I see ya. See you, mate. Well, that was Tim... This is the sort of stuff that's happening. This is why people are getting frustrated. This is why there are seven drivers now that I know personally who have said that they're not crossing the borders anymore. You know, all this sort of stuff's coming up all the time. It's got beyond a joke. We really, really, really do need to do something about this. The rapid antigen testing that uh, Simon O'Hara from Road Freight New South Wales, Glenn Stirl and Gary Mann from the QDA have been talking about We've got to keep dealing with this COVID-19 nonsense, and I call it nonsense because, in my opinion, it is. But for God's sake, can we at least start getting a little bit sensible and dealing with things a little bit more realistically? This ridiculous situation we have stuck at a border because you don't have the right piece of paper, even though you're double-vaxxed, it's got to stop. It's insanity. He's been around for quite a while now, and just like a good wine, he just keeps getting better with age. Here's some new music from Aussie country superstar Lee Kernigan with Backroad Nation. It's road train dust on a bulldozer. Track its cane fields getting lit, and it's combine lights before the dawn. It's a new LaRue sunset. It's 40,000 years of dreaming, the heartland keeps on beating. That's us, flying down an old dirt road.
that's our show for this week. Thanks for coming along for the ride. On the Road is proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Be sure to join us again next week when Mike says... Mate, I'm excited. Andy says... I should be okay because I'm sitting down. And our guest says... Yeah, well, it's a huge one. Until we catch up with you again next week, play nice with each other and most of all, stay safe out there. Bye for now. The team here at On The Road believe in the right to free speech, and whilst we might not always be in agreement with the views of our guests and contributors, we support their right to hold and express those opinions. It's unsung towns and ancient ground, a road that never ends. It's the homeland song that when you're gone, calls you home again. Go!